It just gives me great joy as a church that we get to be generous in a season like this when God has done so much for us to be generous with a partner like Urban Ventures. And so thank you for the ways, um, uh, for your generosity and for the ways that we'll get to partner with them this holiday season. Uh, the other thing that brings me joy lately is that we have been uh, using familiar Christmas carols as a part of our sermons over the last few weeks, and, and that continues tonight with one of my favorite carols, and that is Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which we just sang a few moments ago together. But I have to tell you, uh, that was not uh, the original name of the song, and in fact, I'm going to have to give you a warning, uh, a little bit of a history nerd alert uh, coming. Um, and so I find this fascinating. You may not, but hang in there. Uh, so in the 18th century, a man named Charles Wesley, Charles Wesley was famous uh, for being a hymn writer, but also one of the founders of the Methodist Church. And Charles Wesley wrote a hymn called Hark, How, the, How All the Welkin Rings. Has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? You know that one? So how, Hark How All the Welkin Rings um, was actually a really popular Christmas carol. And then one of Charles Wesley's college buddies was a guy named George Whitfield. And George Whitfield was famous for being a traveling evangelist. He was this famous, fiery preacher who loved to translate things into everyday language. And so he took Charles Wesley's hymn and translated, changed the title to Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Now, this made Charles Wesley incredibly mad, but not for the reason you'd expect. Not because he changed the lyrics to his song, but because for Charles Wesley, who loved writing hymns, hymns were a way of communicating right theology and right scripture to the average person. That's why he wrote hymns. Well, in Charles Wesley's account, in the Bible, it never actually says that angels show up to the birth of Jesus. So by changing the lyrics, he actually makes it biblically inaccurate, and the hymn no longer teaches the truth of Scripture. That was Charles Wesley's take. But today, we still sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, because none of us know what a welkin is. <laughs> but it's a, it's a cool word. Let me tell you, welkin is an, is an old English word that is long forgotten, and welkin means the sound that heaven makes. It means the sound that heaven makes. So when we're singing, hark the herald angels sing, we're imagining ourselves joining our voices with all of heaven and celebrating something. And what are we celebrating? Here's what the hymn tells us. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a word that means God with us. So we celebrate, we rejoice, we hark that God, the God of the universe, decided to come down and dwell in flesh to be among us, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That God chooses to be with us so that we can belong to him. See, you were created for a relationship, an ongoing relationship with the God of the universe. That's what you were made for. And yet we know from human history that we are prone to wander, that we quickly walk away from God and, and we have no way of getting back. We cannot find our way back on ourselves, by ourselves. And so the story of Christmas is the story of how God comes after us. And the traditional Christmas story is found in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. 
Today, I want to look at a different gospel writer's account of the coming of Jesus. So John has a unique perspective on the birth of Christ. So the gospel of John in chapter 1, starting in verse 9, says this. The true light, he's talking about Jesus. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Stop right there. So Christmas is messy. Christmas is messy. And and in every family, there's that one person, at least one person, who follows everyone around, picking up the trash with a trash bag Throwing away the leftover cups, getting rid of the leftover food, picking up the bags and boxes. And just to let you in on my family tradition, in my family, that person is me. I'm the person following around kids and nieces and nephews and everybody just picking up their trash. Because because here's the thing. What kind of monster could enjoy Christmas with trash all over the ground? (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're not a monster. But that's the, thing. that's the thing, Christmas tends to be messy. There's just trash everywhere, there's food everywhere, there's leftovers, and it's more than that. Family and relationships and emotions and history, like all of that starts to be messy at Christmas too. The world we live in is messy, and the world that Jesus comes into all those years ago was a messy world. Just like today, there were people picking sides, there was division, there was fighting, there was anger and jealousy. There was anxiety and stress. There were a lack of resources for some while some had in abundance. It was a messy world. But John says that Jesus came into the world. The light came into the world. Jesus came to those who were his own. God loves us enough to come to us. He looks at the mess and he decides to do something about it. He steps into it. I love how one pastor paraphrased John 1.14. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The word who is God became flesh and blood, became human and moved into the neighborhood, moved into the world, moved into our lives. If you've ever lived on a street or in a cul-de-sac, or in an apartment building for any length of time, you know that as like new neighbors come, sometimes things change, right? As new neighbors come into the neighborhood, sometimes dynamics change in the neighborhood. And the same thing, when Jesus moves into the neighborhood, things start to change. Here's how the Gospel of John says it. He says, to those who received him, they became children of God. That's how their lives changed. Hark the Herald Angels Sing says, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's what happens that when Jesus moves into the neighborhood that all of those who have wandered far from God start to be drawn back home. They start to be drawn back into the family of God. 
C.S. Lewis once said that the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. That Jesus moves into our neighborhoods, he moves into our lives, he moves into our world to show us the possibilities of a life with him. That God chooses to be with us so that we can belong to him and to know what it's like to live with him. We don't have to stand alone in the messes of our lives, in the mess of this world, that God comes to earth to stand with us and to be our light and our guide in the midst of the mess. Where is your mess? What is your mess? What's your mess? And where do you need Jesus to stand in the mess with you. When I think about my own life, you know, the mess often comes from the expectations I take upon my own shoulders, right? My own expectations, expectations of others about what kind of pastor I'm going to be, what kind of father I'm going to be, what kind of a husband and friend and all these things, right? The weight's upon my shoulders and it's not always easy. It doesn't always go as I plan. Believe it or not, everything doesn't always work out the way I want it to. Can you, can you identify with that? Yes. And it gets messy. And I think, well, I can just fix it. I can just try harder. I can just work smarter. I can just learn more. I can do better. I can take it upon my shoulders. I can fix it. And so the Gospel of John tells us not only that Jesus moved into the neighborhood, but that when he came, that humans rejected him because humanity prefers the mess sometimes. And if we're honest, sometimes we prefer the mess ourselves. For some of you, you look at it and you go, well, at least it's my mess. It might be messy, but I'm still in control. For some of you, it might be that you want to clean up your own mess. You might be like me and think that I can fix it. I don't need help. I can take care of it myself. For some of you, the mess has gotten so big that you're just like, it's hopeless. Why even try? Let's just live in the mess. And for some of you, you're like, well, it's a mess, but it's not that bad. I can, I can handle it. I can keep living in it. It's okay. Maybe it's not even a mess at all. We just rationalize it. Our life's working well enough. But what if it were possible that in your mess, there was a different way to live with Jesus? I love Scott Erickson wrote a book called Honest Advent, and he says, may you receive the light of divine annunciation, meaning the advent of Christ, in the flames of your best laid plans. If you're like me, and your best laid plans have become your mess, Jesus comes for you. He comes for you in the flames of your best laid plans. So the good news is that God doesn't stand from afar and throw stones and say, come on, man, get it together. Try harder. God doesn't look from afar and go, he's hopeless. No, the God of the universe looks at our mess and he comes close. He gets involved. He jumps in with you and with me. Christian writer Ann Voskamp says that while other creeds endeavor to get us out of the world and into heaven, in Christianity, heaven comes down and Christ comes into this world to get us, to suffer with us. We find favor only because Christ feels pain, because the God of the universe moved into our neighborhoods. And no matter how nice your neighborhood is, it is not worthy of the God of the universe. 
He moved into our lives, which are not worthy, and yet he does it anyways. He comes into our mess. He steps out of heaven and into our darkness and our suffering and our sin and our brokenness. There's nowhere you can go and nothing you can experience where God will not meet you there. He breaks into our lives the same way he broke into the world all those years ago. He comes to offer us something better and he's patiently waiting for you to receive it. There was an early church father named Augustine and Augustine, when he talked about Jesus as the light of the world, he talked about a school teacher. And so uh, in, in olden days, actually not too long ago, there were all these rural towns and they would have one teacher for the whole town. Just one teacher taught all the kids. And Augustine said that even if that teacher wasn't your teacher, like if you weren't a student of that teacher, he was still the teacher for the whole town. Jesus has come to be the light of the world. Even if you don't consider yourself to be his follower, his disciple, his friend, Jesus has still come for you. And he's waiting on you to belong to him. He's come for you in the midst of your mess. At Christmas, we sing, hark, hark the herald angels sing because Christ has done something for us that we could never do for ourselves. Hear the lines of the carol. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that we no more may die. Born to raise us from the earth, born to give us second birth. Let's make a big deal about what Christ has done for us. Let's make a big deal about Jesus. Let's hark, let's sing, let's celebrate, let's rejoice that God has come for us. Amen.